The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 132 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize all opinions expressed in the show. My own and not my president or past employers. I would never disclose any sense of intelligence if I've been privileged to a result of my current employment. I never, never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or had held in the past in the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before I get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So just a reminder, folks, before we get started, we're on at least a dozen different playback mediums now, and you can listen to any episode you like on our very own website, www.tf7radio.com. So we're up all the time, 24-7-365, and please make sure you visit the site. I think you're going to like it. We've got some regular cybersecurity news posted every day in the morning, uh, and you can buy TF7 merchandise there now as well, and you know, we'll be constantly updating that. But this is just our first version that we just came out with. And when you visit the site, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe and keep in touch with the TF7 family. I think it's the best way to stay connected to everyone. So tonight we're going to have a show that I think many listeners have been waiting for for, for a while now. And uh, we're going to be talking about the, the security issues that arise when transitioning to the cloud. This is a really, really big topic in cybersecurity, uh, in the information security space, in the industry. Um, everybody is talking about it. And people with cloud skills are now... Uh, very much in demand. And no matter what size your company is, really, there's probably a pretty good chance that your organization is using or working with the cloud in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it could be a full transition that you're going through, or you could have a hybrid environment, and we'll talk about that a little bit, or you could just be dipping your toe in the water to see what's what. Uh, some people are, are, are not in any rush to uh, jump into uh, the transition very quickly. But are you aware of the security issues that can arise with this transition? And are the security concerns getting their fair due when the transition takes place? Um, I don't know. Some places, yes. Some places, no. Tonight on Task Force 7 Radio, Mr. Renolf Green will be here to unpack it all for you. Renolf is a seasoned application and cloud security specialist with over a decade of experience in cybersecurity and penetration testing. He currently heads up Context Information Security, US-based cybersecurity consultant business, where they provide a full range of offensive security services to some of the world's largest organizations. Everybody knows out there, Context, one of my favorite companies. 
Renolf has hands-on experience in identifying and exploring vulnerabilities within virtually every layer of the technology stack, from social engineering and red teaming, right through to reviewing code in various languages, as well as, of course, penetration testing, enterprise-level containerized hybrid AWS cloud environments. He is an AWS certified cloud uh, certified security professional. Uh, he's got a, a CIS certification, and he's a CREST certified tester in both the application and infrastructure competencies. And Renolf also represents CREST as an assessor and advisory board member. So this is going to be a great show, folks. Let's do this. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show the head of Assurance USA for Context Information Security, Mr. Ronolf Green. Ronolf, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hi, nice to be here. Hey, it's great to have you, and, and it's great to have your expertise on the show to talk about the migration to the cloud and some of the security concerns uh, around uh, people transitioning to the cloud because it's really the big thing right now. And I want to start off by talking about what risk are there with using cloud-based collaboration and teleconferencing systems? What say you about that? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one because it's been in the news recently. Cloud-based collaboration and teleconferencing software has been a hot topic um, for recent months, in fact, especially considering the changes companies and governments have made to allow working remotely in previously office-based roles. Um, these secure, uh, the security of uh, as-a-service platforms should definitely not be taken for granted as budget holders, uh, as a budget holder, I would definitely consider how these platforms ha handle my private data, including end-to-end -end encryption, i.e. how confident am I that the entire video stream is encrypted using a key only known to the recipient and I, with no intermediary opportunity to listen in. And also uh, data stored on devices. So if I'm a CISO, for example, of a large bank with thousands of employees, um, using a bring-your-own-device policy, can I be absolutely sure that any corporate data on those devices, such as documents and messages, wouldn't be exposed if the device was lost or stolen and presumably jailbroken? Also, standard application weaknesses apply, such as design-level weaknesses, enabling attackers unauthorized access. Um, think about like a video conferencing software that uses a, a link with a easily guessable code, like a six digit uh, numeric code. And uh, implementation weaknesses, to give an example, recently a weakness in Auth0 was discovered that allow impersonation of users by changing the signature type um, of the authentication token to none with a capital N. And that would allow, you know, users to log into your system without having their password, basically. So we live in extraordinary times right now. And I think, you know, uh, the, the, the future is sort of uncertain in a lot of ways. There's a lot of uh, missing answers to a lot of questions that people have in, in regards to the COVID-19 pandemic. What extra risk are there to businesses who are transitioning into cloud services during the time that the pandemic is, is still going on? Yeah, I think the pr principal risk is of rushing an implementation and therefore bypassing the usual due diligence in favor of connecting employees who are virtually stranded without uh, in-office in access. This uh, particularly affects smaller businesses and also teams within a larger organization who have the ability to ignore a wider organizational edit on what systems to use in favor of using their own shadow IT. A typical risk would be exposing company data to the public through insecurely configured services. For example, 
where a collaboration service has a share function that defaults to anyone with an account on the platform rather than just within that company. Also consider that cloud-based platforms have an increased attack surfaces compared to legacy systems that were previously accessible only within the organization. I'm thinking here moving to you know, a cloud-based email solution rather than you know, your on-prem exchange solution. And finally, um, attackers will have an improved knowledge of those systems and how to break into them and potentially, and potentially knowledge of existing exploits that can be applied across multiple businesses simultaneously. And you definitely don't want to be on that list of targets. Right. So what due diligence should I perform or should a company perform to assess the security of a cloud-based services that we're looking to use? Uh, okay, yeah, so to identify areas of vulnerability, there are normally two approaches. Um, the first approach is to perform configuration review against service providers, the kind of available options, configuration options. This can ensure you're hitting best practice, but by no means ensures or assures that you can't be hacked. And so secondly, uh, you might also consider performing offensive security testing uh, for suppliers who aren't trusted or suppliers who you do trust, but not as much as other suppliers. Uh, but make sure that you have their consent first. That's very important. So it seems to me like configuration is, is, is key here to making sure that you have the security you need when you're using a, a cloud-based service. So you talked about before, we talked a little bit about teleconferencing systems, and now you mentioned it again in terms of the configuration when you're assessing the security of a cloud-based service. Is it really just how the, is it user error that causes a lot of the breaches in cloud, in the, in, in the, cl in the cloud space? Is that, or the possibility of a breach in, in cloud? Yeah, I mean, it's defi definitely user errors, like normally the principal thing, but you know, you, it's not just that. I mean, uh, you know, there's been quite a lot of, um, uh, you know, news about Zoom recently, uh, yeah. you know, in terms of like, you would expect, you know, you would expect, okay, well, these guys have thought of it and they know, you know, security and using their platform is going to be completely fine. And, uh, however, um, there are, you know, ways and means, that, you know, attackers can attack these systems and, and you could say, well, it was user error that people got, uh, kind of, you know, hacked from zoom. Uh, but it was also zoom that didn't implement controls in a way that was, user-friendly as well. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a combination. In your mind, and just in general, in general, transition, is transitioning to the cloud more secure than using on-prem in infrastructures? Um, I would say um, <laughs> it's a million dollar question, yeah. <laughs> but I would say, yeah, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a million reasons uh, why it might not be. Yeah, I think, it, you know, a lot of, especially some of the big, uh, some of the big banks are taking a very careful risk-based approach to the transition and making sure that they see what critical systems are, um, the, the prioritization of their applications, the prioritization of their systems, uh, to see what should go first, what should go second, what should go third. Do you see most companies doing that as well, or do you see them just moving to migrate everything at once, or how are they going about it? Yeah, I mean, you know, financial services and and they're kind of supporting businesses, consultancies that work for financial services, um, etc. You know, they are pretty much at the top of the list in terms of taking things slow, doing things right, 
proper change management, performing proper testing of their designs, not necessarily implementing the whole thing and then testing it. Uh, and then you kind of go down the, the, you know, the waterfall from there, you know, tech companies tend to be a little bit more free and easy with how they um, implement things and they tend to move their systems into the cloud, not necessarily, you know, with the testing beforehand, but testing after, you know, I think as long as you get the testing done eventually in terms of security, you're going to be okay. But in terms of like, whether it was a cost efficient exercise, you know, that's another question. In your experience in doing this, do you think cloud service-based companies are, are getting better at notifying customers when there's a problem in terms of speed and timeliness and just notifying them at all? Um, I think, you know, coming from the UK, um, companies tend to be pretty good at this. And, and I think in the States as well, um, I would say, yeah, they're getting better at notifying customers but if there's been a breach. Um, I think they are being forced to do so, not just by regulation compliance, but also uh, because there is better other services uh, available to find out if you have been, uh, if an account has been compromised. So it's, it's important for the company to get ahead of it for their customers. You know, that is definitely improving, but whether the result after that is actually improving, I think that's not necessarily the case. And when I say the result after, I'm talking about, you know, how the company deals with the fact that a customer's data has been breached. Yeah, my experience, I found that the different cloud providers approach to notification and actually transparency into the security protocols varies kind of drastically. Do you see that as well? Do you see that there's a gap, not a gap, but I mean a, a big difference in the way they approach the transparency of security? Yeah, I mean, you know, this, that kind of, that runs deep inside organizations. You know, some organizations that from a typically, you know, the same industry sector, you'll go to one and they'll just approach that entire security in a completely different way to another. Some, you know, when I, you know, as a pen tester, when I provide findings, some customers will be like, I'm so glad you found these critical vulnerabilities um, because now we know about them. And others will be like, yeah, it's not critical, it's high, it's medium, and fat, it's low. In fact, no one uses this. I've actually been told on numerous occasions, no one uses this system, so nothing is really high. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, different approach. And then, and then from there, you know, you, as you expected, of course, it's the same people in charge of, you know, telling customers that they've been breached and, and trying to protect their systems. And so, of course, they take the same approach. All right, folks, we've got to transition to a commercial break, but stick with us. We've got lots more to come here on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the head of Assurance USA for Context Information Security, Mr. Ranoff Green. 
Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, 
please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the head of Assurance USA for Context Information Security, Mr. Runoff Green. So, Runoff, I want to talk about uh, cloud architecture a little bit in this segment and sort of get into a deep dive and unpack the benefits and some of maybe some disadvantages of the cloud architecture. What are some of the security benefits for cloud versus uh, on-prem infrastructures? Yeah, so full disclosure, you know, I'm a massive cloud convert, particularly AWS, which is uh, not necessarily better, but it's just the one I happen to know more about. Right, okay. Um, and I'm fully in favor of migrating just about everything to the cloud. Um, you can deploy complex architectures uh, with minimal costs, allowing testing of infinite iterations of configuration before settling on a solution. And also, um, you know, this is, this is good for when you're doing security testing of a particular solution because it's, it's a lot easier to change your architecture. For example, imagine you've gone and bought, you know, 10 firewalls for your new system and um, you decide that they're actually not what you need and you need a different type of device and you've got to then send them back and, you know, it's going to cost you a lot of money and take time as well. Um, Cloud-provided systems are generally also well-documented and feature rich uh, for security controls, uh, both uh, provided by the cloud provider, but also uh, supplied by third parties. And also, last but not least, um, have well-defined industry best practice. There's not a lot of community information out there in terms of how to deploy things uh, better. So, you know, just in general, I would say that if you do move to cloud in, in the right way and, and also make sure that you um, you know, consider security when you're doing the migration, you will, you will be better off uh, in terms of security in the end. So are, are verticals that are more highly regulated than others make the, the uh, transition to the cloud more complex, especially in terms of the complexity of the security issues that you have? Um, I would say yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, the cloud, you know, providers, they do try to simplify that process, you know, GovCloud and things like that, if that's necessary. Um, but um, implementing, uh, in, you know, encryption um, uh, for the things like PCI DSS will make your deployment um, more difficult. But that said, uh, in compared to, say, deploying your own PCI DSS infrastructure and deploying it in the cloud. Now, it's definitely going to be easier to deploy in the cloud than it is to deploy on-prem, but, you know, it's just the transition isn't necessarily going to be that easy. Right. So when you're architecting a cloud environment, what are the most important things to secure first? I mean, in, in this, well, what are the most important things to secure and what order would you recommend uh, doing them? Yeah, I would say, you know, obviously secure everything, um, but... Um, <laughs> A best efforts basis is when it comes to security, you know, it, it's normally the downfall of NECO, to be honest with you. It's a sampling approach, et cetera. You know, this kind of approach works well for auditing your books, but it's not good for security. Um, because an attacker, uh, you know, a hacker only needs like one thing wrong to get in. And then from there, they can normally pivot their way through and gain access to highly privileged information. Uh, but that said, um, you know, obviously there are areas that, you know, are easier 
and reap greater rewards than others. Um, so, you know, to give some examples of easy wins, I'd say, you know, enabling MFA for all users, um, lock down public placing systems and assets such as S3 buckets and, you know, other, you know, systems that have public IPs attached to them. Um, enforce network segregation by using multiple accounts where, you know, for different business units, but also uh, virtual uh, networks within your cloud account uh, and configuring security groups and, um, with limited ranges available to them. So that, um, you know, when you're defining a new system and you're defining what needs to access it, you always take the approach of, okay, well, it needs SSH access, therefore I'm going to give it port 22. You don't take the approach, oh, um, I'm just going to give it all ports. Right, so I think a lot of the things that you just said, don't they just don't they apply to on-prem systems as well? I mean, it's this, it's sort of a basic cyber hygiene in a lot of respects that's going to get you in trouble in the cloud, just like it would on-prem. No. Well, I think this kind of goes back to you know what are the security benefits of using cloud? Because of course you definitely need to apply this to on-prem systems, um, but you know the cloud and the cloud the cloud kind of style does have uh, you know, a better way of doing it. You know, for example, look at security groups. Um, you, know, you might have a, in a, an on-prem system a firewall and then a host-based firewall. Well, on, in cloud, you, you can have your host-based firewall, you can have your network firewalls, but you can also have security groups. So it's actually improved, um, but um, you, know, you can't just take it for granted. It's not a click box exercise. It, it's not automatic. You definitely need to uh, configure these things yourself to make sure that they're secure. How should companies manage user accounts and credentials for cloud services, which is a big one. I think identity access management is always uh, in issues with IAM is always in the top 10 material risk for anybody. Um, you know, very, very important, obviously in the, in the secure, in your security stack. How yeah. Should, I mean, how should you go about doing that. I mean, that's why I've got, you know, point one of the above, enable MFA for all users. I mean, I, I couldn't stress that. It's, it's probably going to be the one thing you could do that's like going to stop as more attacks than anything else. Uh, but that said, you know, not everything can have MFA enabled. It's pretty common for user accounts to sprawl when deploying new cloud infrastructure. For example, imagine like, you know, when your prod environment is born out of what was a testing account set up for a, a developer. Um, that testing account was set up with, you know, various different users to give that developer and his, you know, colleagues access. Now, when it, you know, migrates to prod, they implement a better federated, you know, kind of access system. But, all those original original accounts are still there so you need to make sure that those are cleaned up um, I mean it's important to periodically review uh, your cloud accounts you know to ensure that aged accounts like you know what I was mentioning there are removed and also access tokens are revoked as well if they're not being used anymore um, you know going back to like the scenario where you've got like a prod account that was like born out of a developer account or a test account and you know it's not uncommon for those initial accounts to be set up with massively privileged uh, access roles now you need to make sure that those are revoked as soon as you can 
Uh, and also mentioned, you know, using federated access. So most cloud providers allow you to federate with like either a new identity uh, provider but, or your existing one. So, for example, if you've got Microsoft Active Directory, uh, you can federate with Active Directory to allow logins and then provide IAM uh, roles and permissions according to mapped groups that you've got. And that's definitely a better way of doing it rather than relying on setting up a secondary account in the cloud provider's system uh, as well as the initial account because then you've got two different passwords, you've got two different sets of permissions, two different lists of users to manage, etc. And also um, limit the use of hard-coded secrets um, in your source code and configuration attributes such as AWS instance user data because these are uh, you know, a first-stop target for an attacker you know, on a compromised environment. Um, so, you know, and to, to take it to kind of a typical attack, you know, user compromises an instance um, and accesses that instance user data that's stored locally on that device, which has like passwords for like configuring user accounts when it was set up. And then they are able to use those passwords to elevate permissions, gain access to you know, customer data, et cetera. Yeah, so a lot to think about in that space. Everyone's aware of the cost benefits of migrating to the cloud, I think. But how can a cost model for on-demand cloud services be exploited by attackers? Yeah, I mean, this this is one that I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me that's the kind of you know talking about this. But I, I'm I'm convinced that this is a category of attack that is just round the corner waiting to happen. Um, so this is like, you know, exploiting this kind of paper API call, paper log item structure um, where you've got parts of your system that are exposed to, you know, the public internet uh, or like, you know, you can sign up for a user account um, and, and invoke some kind of function, say like a kind of a change user name function. Um, basically, the idea is to um, exploit these vulnerabilities to generate like a large quantity of um, API calls or log items. And this impact can be compounded exponentially the more complex uh, the logging and monitoring solution is or the, you know, the, the application you're targeting is. For example, take a web server log, which is shipped to a logging solution. A large URL request might be logged in numerous locations, each one resulting in a small cost. Uh, so one request isn't just one cost, it might be 10 costs. If the request also resulted in a lengthy error message, the cost would be further increased. And I'm really waiting to come across a, a logging equivalent of the old ping of death approach, where two cloud instances end up firing logs at each other, resulting in further logs being generated, resulting in firing further logs at each other, all of which uh, are sent to a logging solution, which... Um, charges the customer every single time a logging event occurs and then in the space of a few seconds you might have spent you know ten thousand uh, dollars on log events and it might take someone quite a long time to realize this now and of course account limits can be used to some extent to prevent this style of attack but for organizations with massive budgets or even modest budgets it can be difficult to determine what these limits should be without risking interruption of service and also you've got the risk of of the denial of service condition. For example, imagine if I can say hit an account limit for for log messages um, that prevents messages from being logged, uh, but that also somehow affects how the application runs. So once that account limit is hit, then no more log events happen, therefore the application crashes. 
Um, um, alternatively, an attacker could try and spread out the cost between regions, between services to maximize, you know, uh, the effects of a particular attack. So, for example, if you've got, like, say, an application that might, you, know, you could rack up, like, you know, $10,000 in US. Well, if I connect to it from Hong Kong, it's going to target a different, uh, you know, in, um, a different um, zone. Uh, for the cloud provider, which has a different account, which which is its own account limits, and so I could rack up some, you know, another ten thousand dollars from Hong Kong and and from another hundred different other countries. So, how would you define a hybrid cloud environment? Because I know a lot of people are using this model, and what kind of security impact would uh, would companies have that have cho- chosen to use a hybrid uh, cloud model instead of going to the whole cloud transition right out of the gate? Yeah, so so hybrid cloud is like an amalgamation of uh, on-premise uh, with one or more cloud providers. And I've seen the hybrid cloud term being used for different things. Um, for example, all cloud, but like using different cloud providers or on-prem versus cloud providers. Now, it, I guess the security impact is still kind of the same. It doesn't really matter, you know, how you how you categorize it. And and mainly that's around. Uh, the fact that, generally speaking, in a hybrid cloud environment, uh, permanent connectivity between the cloud providers and the internal networks is established using some kind of VPN solution or maybe you know some kind of other connectivity. That means that if I'm sitting at in my desk in or you know home working from uh, you know my company's internal VPN, I can you know access systems in the cloud and possibly vice versa. And like all, um, you know, IT migrations, when you implement a hybrid cloud, the change can introduce new security issues. And in the case of hybrid cloud, security controls need to be enforced to stop traversing from an on-premise to cloud and vice versa. And then assess the impact of allowing access to internal systems. For example, imagine code repositories, network shares from uh, the cloud perspective. So I've compromised like a, you know, system in the cloud, um, and I, I'm trying to access the internal corporate systems, especially when those systems were used to actually develop and architect to deploy the cloud in the first place because they often have a lot of secret information uh, that could be used very useful for an attacker to traverse the, the cloud environment. So would you say it, it adds more complexity uh, to the security posture of an organization if you're using a hybrid cloud environment instead of just on-prem or in the cloud? Um, yes, yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. So really? if you were just uh, on a cloud environment, you know, you can get your head into the space of like just using that the cloud environment. Everything revolves around that cloud environment. But if you're using a hybrid cloud environment involving on-prem and cloud, then you've still got all of the same security uh, issues, concerns that you had with your just on-prem, and now you're adding all the concerns of the cloud, and they are different concerns. So why don't most people use a hybrid cloud uh, architectural infrastructure uh, instead of going transitioning completely to the cloud? Isn't it just, isn't, isn't it, don't they do that in the first place because of security concerns, but now you're telling me yeah. more complex, right? Yeah, to use people. a metaphor, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's that kind of, when you're building your new house, you know, you put up the caravan and uh, then you end up living in the caravan for 16 years because the house never gets finished. Um, kind of, that, you know, it, it's inevitable that when you've got a you know, decent sized infrastructure, you can't just 
pick it up and plop it in the cloud and and then just switch off all your other systems you need to you know there needs to be a transition period and that's what hybrid cloud is i think for you know most companies though that especially big ones that they won't necessarily ever really get rid of their caravan in the garden because um you know there's certain things that just they they won't ever move out of it what would you say to companies who think that migrating to the cloud is a drag and drop operation um, I would say um, it's it's definitely you know not something that um, you should um, you know consider to be honest with you because uh, it, you know imagine like you know, if I'm importing an image to uh, like a cloud provider and it's um, just on its own, uh, exactly unchanged. Well, you've got this scenario. Say I've got an application running on that image that. Um, you know, is expecting certain things to be in place, like a firewall, you know, uh, that, that when you put it in a cloud environment, isn't actually in place. Uh, so um, in the cloud environment, that, that is then exposing some kind of vulnerability to, to your systems that just wasn't there before. And, um, and also, you know, maybe you're not just dragging and dropping like your whole image, your virtual machine into the cloud, but you're, you're just moving an application into the cloud. Let's just use an example of that application has like, you know, an attachment to say like, a, a, you know, an ethernet interface. So let's just say ETH zero. Um, and it's attached some kind of admin portal to that ethernet interface. Um, you know, this doesn't necessarily just apply to the cloud. It applies to like, you know, a, a lot of different um, like, you know, migrations. Um, what happens if when you move it into cloud that E0 suddenly is the public interface and the management portal is now on that public interface. So like just a little changes like that, you know, the code is exactly the same, but the infrastructure it runs on is different and therefore you're going to expose, you know, different issues um, and I would say you know it's best to take advantage of cloud-based services to simplify an application however that isn't always possible um, so um, you know when you do uh, like do the kind of lift and shift approach um, it's important to make sure that uh, you know that those images are being maintained patched licensed etc and also that those images are being reviewed before you move them into the cloud to make sure that any kind of backdoors, malware, you know, that might have been on them isn't then going to just suddenly transported into your cloud environment. Um, giving an attacker who had some access before, you know, you know, further access inside the cloud environment. All right, Ronolf, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the head of Assurance USA for Context Information Security, Mr. Ranolf Green. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the head of Assurance USA for Context Information Security, Mr. Runoff Green. So, Runoff, I want to talk a little bit about running applications in the cloud uh, for this segment, and I think uh, this is a very important topic that uh, a lot of people are, are struggling with. So, what are the, some of the top issues that you find in cloud-based applications 
Yeah, so um, cloud-based applications you know, have all the same vulnerabilities as traditional applications, um, but with two main differences. Um, first is that cloud-based applications can more easily um, use external cloud-based components to, to perform certain tasks such as authentication, load balancing, and data storage. And this can reduce the risk by reducing the amount of custom code um, you know, needed to, to run the actual application. However, and point two, um, so as a result of the first point, a new attack service is introduced, and that of um, insecurely configured cloud services, uh, so what we were talking about in the last segment, that may be accessible from the internet or another cloud account. You have to consider the application code and the service it run on in the same kind of security uh, sphere. So the impact of uh, certain issues can also be more serious in a cloud environment. This is because resources can be assigned roles in the cloud. This is much like, you know, say a web server or an SQL database server running with, say, domain admin permissions. Now, that is like, you know, very highly, uh, you know, uh, privileged account within the Microsoft uh, network world. Um, now, a compromised cloud service could result in compromise of other components much like say that database would you know you could pivot from there to compromise other user accounts um, but for organizations that were previously using like a unix linux you know kind of hosting uh, you know architecture um, before when they're migrating to the cloud they might not necessarily have had to deal with this idea that you know you can pivot from one account to other systems because previously they just SSH accessed all of their systems and there wasn't any you know shared accounts. So that might not have been something they, they considered, which is something that is new for the cloud. Uh, so for these reasons, I'd say, you know, pay particular concern to some specific application weaknesses. Now, these are kind of, uh, you know, OWASP plot 10 weaknesses, so they affect all applications. But just, you really need to double down on security for operating system command injection, um, for code injection, and also, and I think probably those two first ones are like, you know, at the top of everyone's list, server-side request forgery. Um, and it's super super important because now server-side request forgery is you know where uh, a user say can change a parameter you know on an application there's then processed by the application that causes that back-end application to, to make some kind of request to get some resource using that user supplied url as a target and then they can change that target to be say accessing the metadata api for an Amazon instance that gives them access to the role uh, that that Amazon instance. And particularly interesting for cloud environment is that they can then act, use that credential from the internet to access um, the, you know, that, that customer's cloud, where previously they would have to be on-prem to do it. Well, we're often hearing about containers when we talk about the cloud. So what is containerization and what specific attack vectors should companies assess in relation to the cloud when talking about containers? Yeah, so I, I think containerization and, and cloud are often like, you know, looped into one and the same thing. And, and I think that they're not necessarily the same thing, but, you know, definitely go arm in arm. And it's kind of like two technologies that have kind of come, come along quite a lot at about the same time, so it made sense for a lot of people to not only move to cloud, but also to move to containers. So containers, 
you know, are very widely used. And most of the major cloud providers also have services to manage the orchestration of containers such as Docker Swarm and Kubernetes. Um, so, but what is a container? So a container is an executable package that runs in an isolated environment, providing all the tools needed to run a specific application. Um, containers are a step between virtual machines. Uh, so a virtual machine you know, has its own kernel, has its own operating system. Container looks like it has its own operating system, but it shares a lot of uh, functionality with the host-based operating system. And therefore, they have an increased, um, a significantly increased attack surface when compared to virtual machine. So you can take two approaches when deciding the risk of what using containers is. One is to assume that the risk is increased as your containers will be running on a shared underlying operating system when previously they had uh, independent virtual machines. Um, alternatively, if you're moving from an environment where you had lots of code running directly on the operating system, containers will reduce the risk, but you probably should assess the risk anyway, because you need to know that the risk you think is reduced is actually reduced. Um, so how would you go about kind of assessing this? Now for containers, you would always perform like a scenario-based assessment, where it is assumed that the container is a compromised. So you know, from my previous response, OS, command injection, code injection, it just assume that that can happen, regardless of whether you think it, there is a natural vulnerability or not. And then what can you access from there? And, and then and you've got to give the tester the, the, kind of, you know, the ability to, to go with their exploit to, to find the, you know, the kind of absolute end of that road in terms of like what they can access from a compromised container because often you'll find that from one container you can access other networks you can access other systems other sure. cloud-based services and you can pivot maybe you can pivot you know talking about hybrid earlier you can pivot to like an on-prem system from there you, you know you can pivot to other cloud providers as well so should companies be concerned about the security of serverless yeah, so serverless components are definitely uh, you know, a concern. Not more of a concern, they're just not less of a concern. Um, so, because they can be subjected to all the normal attacks that any other application component be subjected to. And I think, you know, serverless, you know, the misnomer is there is actually a server. It's just that you don't manage that server. So typically the code will run a container uh, on a shared operating system. Now, hopefully that container will be segregated from other containers belonging to other companies by the cloud provider itself. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, but however, the flow of data within the organization to and from that serverless function is generally up to the developer, to the architect. So they need to make sure that that data is, uh, those, those flows are locked down. Um, so um, to give an example, imagine like a, uh, an application API that's running on a Lambda function, which is a serverless function in Amazon a AWS. Um, that API is behind some kind of authentication gateway that deals with the authentication. And uh, you might think, well, that's okay. You know, I don't need to validate tokens. Um, however, even if uh, that authentication is provided by the upstream component, take care to validate those authentication tokens as well, because uh, the Lambda function may be accessible from other locations or other Amazon services, um, depending on what you've configured, which then bypass the external authentic authentication gateway. You know, think server-side request forgery, for example. 
Uh, I'm on a container, I have server-side request forgery, I can make a call to a Lambda function that really was not supposed to be accessible from outside that company, which uh, can access you know, other things because it's got its own roles and privilege assigned to it. How can supply chain attacks affect a cloud deployment any differently than regular supply chain attacks would in an on-prem environment? Isn't it yeah. the same? It, I would say, you know, it, it's, it is the same, but um, uh, supply chain attacks can take the form of, you know, an external component which communicates with backend cloud components. So that might be different because you didn't implement that before. And when you migrate to the cloud, you know, you add in all these new things. Um, or tools and code which is developed outside of your organization or inside your organization, but uses some kind of outside uh, service. So in a cloud environment, use of third-party components is amplified, not by necessity, but by the availability and easy connectivity for those deployments. So yeah, to answer that question, it is not theoretically any different. However, in reality, it is. Every application makes use of a variety of components, starting from the base operating system uh, through to installed operating system tools and services, such as the web server, you know, logging uh, functions, et cetera, security tools, uh, through to uh, code repositories that were used within the application at build time. So third-party libraries can be installed from various sources using tools such as NPM, Maven, PyPy, or Python, you know, Python pip, uh, or from GitHub repositories. Um, also consider third-party deployment tools for DevOps, such as Ansible, Terraform, and the plugins they have, and Docker images as well, and also AMIs from community sources. Now, you've got to consider whether the maintainers of all these external components are operating the same level of security diligence as your organization is. For example, imagine the scenario, a developer uses a personal Docker Hub account to host a useful image containing pre-configured tools. This image is integrated into an application in a harmless and benign manner. Then the developer is fired, but the image is still present within the application. Container orchestration tools are very good at ensuring a freshly updated copy of the images downloaded on a periodic basis. Now, the developer can introduce malicious code into their Docker Hub repository and that is then uh, deployed within the application and it gives that developer like a backdoor access to the application. So why would an attacker target DevOps tooling in relation to penetrating a cloud environment? And what is it? Why would that, would that be a priority to them? and make it easier for them to, to penetrate the environment? Yeah, definitely. Um, so de DevOps infrastructure is a central point for storage of highly privileged credentials across multiple business lines. And this is needed by that DevOps uh, to allow the automated deployment of code into cloud systems. Um, however, uh, you know, how many hacker blogs have you seen that start with a misconfigured Jenkins server dot, dot, dot? Um, it's, it's, it's an easy way in, and, and it's, it's almost like kind of like you, you get in through the perimeter and you're automatically, you know, in the CEO's, you know, uh, office. Um, and in relation to cloud, these credentials can typically be used from the public internet, as I mentioned earlier, to directly query 
the uh, cloud provider's API, allowing the attacker access to internal assets. And this is a lot easier for the attacker than the old approach of like VLAN hopping, jump through servers in order to get to a DMZ that wasn't accessible. Uh, you know, in a cloud environment, you'll often find that things are just e much easier to get to than they were in the on-prem environment. Um, there's also really large attack surface available uh, to attackers. And you know, consider that the DevOps tools might also be in the cloud. Um, so um, thinking about you know, NFS, SMB shares, databases, S3 buckets, code repositories, either public or private, that might all be exploitable um, using weak credentials or vulnerabilities to introduce some kind of code into uh, an application or a infrastructure uh, that allows an attacker in. So what forms of open source intelligence gathering specifically target cloud-based applications and services? Like this is really yeah. important to know, especially if you're thinking about having an intelligence-led program. You have to know what your adversary is going to be looking at too. Um, what's out there? Yeah, I mean, this is really popular stuff, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely you know, searching through online code repositories for hard-coded secrets and access keys, including all the commits, you know, things like that. Is, is going to be a you know, principal target for any, you know, hacker doing OSINT. Um, these access keys typically follow a predefined, fairly unique format. And so, you know, for cloud, that format is widely known. And so it makes it possible to use search engines or the search features within particular applications to go through massive quantities of code and data and, you know, I mentioned old commits and things like that that aren't necessarily, you know, presented front and center to a developer um, in, in a very short space of time. Now, uh, of course, you know, when a hacker stumbles across your code, they will mo most likely, like, you know, re retrospectively claim they were targeted, targeting you all along. But in fact, they really just targeted whoever, um, you know, that they happen to come up on their search result and and in fact you just don't want to be on that list um <laughs> so you know sources sources they might go to could be you know stack overflow pastebin github things like that a targeted approach would be to identify employees uh, you know a targeted approach I'm, I'm talking about uh for an attacker's perspective uh, either present or former employees and then from there once you've got their names you find their online identities that this might be you know LinkedIn accounts, Facebook accounts, this might be uh, SourceForge accounts, uh, Stack Overflow accounts, GitHub accounts, that you might find that their name is linked to a certain alias that they use on other things as well. And then once you've got their aliases, you can use those to go back into searching through the uh, page bins, the Stack Overflows, the GitHubs of this world to uh, identify what they have contributed. And then once you've got that smaller data set, you can um, go through it in much more rigor to find if there's anything that they might have contributed that was actually uh, something that should have been private data for a particular company. Because uh, you know it's not necessarily just secrets, it might just be like it's source code as well. Um, you know, we've seen before instances where an entire application source code has just been shared by a developer on a, in a public, you know, repository. Uh, reasons for reasons unknown. And so you can also look through password dumps. Uh, so once you've got their online identities, you can use those to search through password dumps to find shared credentials, and then try and access their uh, 
online accounts using those and then from there you can look through whether they've got say private repositories private messages that also refer to um to company things so it's not necessarily that they've shared the password with their corporate account but you know 10 stages in between you might find that there's a path of exploitation Runul, thanks so much for coming on the show. I love context information security. Love your company. I love what you guys do. Please come on anytime you want. Uh, I can't wait to have you back. This is a big topic. I think a lot of people are going to tune into this and get a lot of value out of this. Um, a lot of people are struggling with this stuff right now. So appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, George. It's been a real pleasure. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 